Good evening. Welcome to Grace Community Church downtown. Glad that you're here and you've chosen to worship with us uh, this evening. Um, the scripture that, that uh, was just read for us by Andrew here is Luke chapter 24. It's one of the many verses we're going to be looking at uh, this evening. We're going to be all over the place, but I want us to, before we begin in prayer, just, just to look at that last verse that he read. Uh, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. Would you please go to the Lord with me in prayer. Father, we are opening up the word of God. Uh, Father, we will first of all want to thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that inspired Luke, inspired Paul and James and John and Peter and the Old Testament prophets. And, and Father, whatever scripture we are reading, Lord, it is from your hand and it is to us for our benefit. Uh, it is, Lord, to, to quicken our hearts to bring life where there is death, to bring healing where there is suffering, and to just bring encouragement where hearts are downcast. And Lord, where hearts are hardened and apathetic, it's to bring conviction. So Spirit, we are asking you to do a work that you know our hearts need done. Uh, Father, I just pray that you would help me to preach and teach in such a way that Christ is exalted, that he is glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in a fall campaign or fall series called Gaining Momentum, and we are through the first part of that. The last four weeks we've been, uh, we have been in the, uh, the book of 2 Corinthians and hanging out mostly in the, in the fifth chapter. We looked at our identity in Christ, that we are all new creations in Christ. Uh, we've looked at what God has called us to do as new creations in Christ. He's called us to be ambassadors, and we are, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And we are to share that message with others. Uh, we looked at our motive that it's the love of Christ that controls us because we're convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and gave himself for them. And then we looked uh, last week at, at celebration, celebration, boasting in our weakness so that Christ would receive all the glory. So this is a, a familiar text to you, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So that's where we've been the last four weeks. Now the reason we're focusing on, on this particular text this fall is, is because we desire to be a church that, that is used by God to demonstrate and declare the gospel. Uh, we're called to be ambassadors, and we long to be ambassadors, and we want to see, see the name of Jesus made famous in this city, uh, the name of Jesus made famous in this state, in this nation, and to the very ends of the earth. So we are ambassadors. Now, what is it that an ambassador does? It says we are ambassadors for Christ. There's a comma. So what is it that we're supposed to do? God is making what? What's the text say? His appeal. He's making his appeal to the world through his people. That's what he's doing. Now, here's the question though. The question is, <laughs> new clicker. Seriously, this is a brand new clicker. Why is it that everything I touch disintegrates? I'm like Tommy Boy with the roll. Anybody see Tommy Boy? Everything I touch destroys here. Okay, come on, really? Could you advance the next slide and then shoot me in the head? Could you do that? Thank you. All right, there we go. <laughs> how, how do we make this appeal? So, we are ambassadors. 
we are to make this appeal. Now the question is, how do we make this appeal? So you are all ambassadors of Christ, presuming, of course, you're in Christ. Don't want to make that presumption. Some of you might not be followers. You're here because you're seeking. And we're glad that you're here. This is a safe place for you to explore, ask questions, and journey along. But many of you are followers of Christ. We are to make this appeal. How do we do it? So what do you do to make an appeal that someone might come to know Christ? What do you share with them? Okay, you share the gospel. You share, next slide please. How do we make this disciple? First of all, we share Jesus. What does that mean to share Jesus? How many of you have been taught early on in your discipleship as a follower of Christ that you need to share Christ with people? Yes? What does that mean, share Christ with someone? You need Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? Um, there's also, we need to share the Word of God, share the Bible. But what is it we're supposed to share about the Bible? See, herein lies the problem. As ambassadors for Christ, as ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, um, we know we're supposed to share Christ. We know we're supposed to share the gospel. We know we're supposed to share the, the word of God. But, but what exactly do we share? And it depends who we're sharing to. For example, back in 1987, I think, approximately, um, my wife and I had been dating for a number of, uh, of years, and my wife felt compelled to make an appeal as an ambassador of Christ to share the Lord with me, and she asked me some very simple questions. She said, are you saved? And I said, I, what do you mean? I don't, what, saved? Well, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? I said, well, yeah, I think so. And she said, well, why? And I said, well, because I believe in God. I believe that Jesus was his son. And she said, well, there's more to it. And so she explained the pieces of the gospel. And I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. There was nothing wrong with her presentation. There was nothing wrong with her presentation. But I had pieces of the puzzle, but I didn't have the overarching narrative story. And it didn't make sense until start of some of those pieces started to fall into place. So it was a gradual process, a gradual process. Um, next slide, we'll take a look. Uh, uh, first of all, the Bible. Does the Bible contain rules? Of course it does. Is the Bible a book of rules? No, it is not a book of rules. Next point. Does the Bible contain how-tos? How to be a better person? How to be a witness? How to be a better husband? How to be a better wife? How to be someone single that brings glory to God? Does, does the Bible present how-tos? Is it a how-to manual? No, it is not. It is not a how-to manual. Next point. Does the Bible have stories with strong morals or lessons? Yes, but is it a book of morals? No, it is not. See, herein lies the problem. We know the Bible has something to do with Jesus, but oftentimes when we approach the Word of God, we see it as this kind of jumbled collection of rules and how-tos and fables and, and, and parables and things like that. It's a story with morals. But it, it's, it's all of those things, but it's much broader. There's something here that we're missing. Something here. If we're going to make an appeal, we have to have a stronger understanding of what it is we are supposed to share. What it is we're supposed to share. So the next slide, please. Let's take a look at two confused ambassadors. The scripture reading that Andrew gave us is from Luke chapter 24. If you would turn there, that would be beneficial to you. I will have bullet points with the scripture references. I won't be pulling up the whole scriptures that are up there. First of all, we have two confused ambassadors. The context in Luke 24 verses 13 and 17 
You have Jesus. Context is this is a three days after the crucifixion. So this is the resurrected Christ. He's been crucified. He's been buried. And on the third day, he's risen again. He's appeared to Mary. He's appeared to some of the women. He has not yet appeared to any of the apostles yet. So you have these two individuals. One of them, we have the name. His name is Cleopas. We don't know the other one's name. And they're taking a seven-mile journey on foot from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, Jesus kind of walks up beside him incognito. He's kept them from seeing who he is. He walks up beside them, and he's saying, so what's going on? What are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? They stop. They're saddened. Cleopas says, seriously, are you the only person in Jerusalem that has no idea what's been going on in the last week? And then they began to tell the story in verses 18 through 25. Next bullet point there. The ambassadors essentially say this. We thought he was the one. We thought he was the one. He was the one. He was mighty in power and word and deed. We thought he was the hope of Israel. But, but our chief priests handed him to the, over to the Romans to be crucified. And since that time, he was buried, and, and uh, the women came back and said the tomb was empty. They saw visions of angels, and, and we don't know what's going on. There's even reports that he's alive. In other words, here's, here's what they had. They had bits and pieces of a story, but it wasn't coherent, and it didn't fit together. They were confused. These two are not apostles, but they are part of the larger group called disciples. They are ambassadors. God is going to use them to make his appeal to the world. The problem is, is they don't have a coherent story. They don't know the story of their king, and they don't know the story of his country. And so consequently, they, they have the pieces. They have all the puzzle pieces. They have the furniture, but it's, it's not arranged. It's not coherent. It doesn't make sense. So then the next slide, Jesus then shares the story. Shares the story. Here's, here's what it says. Verse 25, O foolish ones, Slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, key verse, key verse. And beginning with Moses, the Pentateuch, arranged by Moses, the first five books of the Bible, starting with Genesis. Beginning with Genesis, beginning with Genesis, and all the prophets he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, when he says all the scriptures, what's he referring to? He's referring to the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. He's talked Genesis through Malachi. He's talking about a, a very coherent, linear story that starts in Genesis that goes all the way through Malachi and the whole of scripture and now has culminated in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. Here's what Jesus does. He tells them a story. He doesn't give them little Wikipedia factoids about his identity. I'm the son of God. Uh, true, he gives, them, he gives them a story because a story captures the heart. Next slide, please. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? When the Holy Spirit takes a cognitive narrative that, that starts and goes somewhere, and Jesus is the center of that story, it captures the heart and it captures the imagination. 
just a little uh, participation here. How many of you find reading the Bible sometimes difficult and boring at times? Okay. Man, some of your hands just shot up. Like you were excited to say that. Um, that's not abnormal. That's, that's, that's pretty common. And one of the reasons that that is true, one of the reasons our hearts don't burn within us, is because we read the Bible as a book of rules. We read the Bible as, as a how-to manual. Uh, we, we read the Bible as, as a series of, of stories with lessons and morals to make us better people. And the, here's, here's how we don't often read it. We don't often read it as a Tolkien novel that has a, has a, has a story, has, a, has an antagonist, has a hero, has an adventure. We, I mean, who reads Wikipedia for fun, right? You, you read it... You, one nerd in the back. His name's Ryan. You can make fun of him after the service. Uh, it, no, except for Ryan, nobody does that, right? But we, our hearts are captured by, by, by a narrative, a narrative. And, and Jesus, that's what he does. He tells his story with himself at the center. And what, what, what's the result? Their hearts are set ablaze. Their hearts are set ablaze. Now, I want to compare and contrast that with typically how we try to be ambassadors for Christ in the West. Next slide, please. Our appeals are unappealing. Our appeals are unappealing when they're divorced from the overarching story of God. So what we are doing at this point in time is we are entering into uh, uh, eight messages. Message one is tonight where we are looking at the story of God, the story of God. We're looking at the story that Jesus told these two on the road to Emmaus so, so that we can make an appeal which is appealing, which is appealing. That's, that's where we're headed. Three things that we want to cover tonight. Um, next slide, please. Oh, shoot, I forgot about that. Yeah, the example. Let's jump back to 1977. Shall we? 1977, I want to illustrate and give you a little, uh, little bit of an understanding of the importance of narrative. So in 1977, I was 10 years old. I grew up in a town called Newton, Iowa. It's about 30 miles east of Des Moines, right off of Interstate 80. And my, my folks, uh, when they went to school, they went here to the University of Iowa, and they, they lived in a duplex uh, or uh, upstairs, downstairs, upstairs with, a, with another couple, and they remained friends for years and years. And so they were going to get together with this family. So we all drove from Newton, Iowa to Iowa City. And it's 1977, and the mom and, and, and her friend are going to take all the kids, that is me and my sister and her son and her daughter, and the four of us plus moms are all going to go to a movie. So we did it the old-fashioned way. We opened up the Press Citizen and went to uh, the, the, the movie listings, and, and there were two movies which were suitable for kids at the time, uh, Sinbad, Eye of the Tiger, and, and then Star Wars course, Star Wars. And so I had seen neither. Uh, my friend, his name was Kevin, he was a year younger, so he was nine. He'd actually been to Star Wars, and he was lobbying hard for Star Wars. I had seen neither, so I didn't know. And I said, so what's Star Wars about? And here's, here's essentially what he said. It's about spaceships and battles and lasers, and there's this really cool scene where they're in a sewer, and, and the walls start to close in, and there's this one-eyed monster. It's awesome. It's awesome. And I said, that sounds stupid. 
It sounds utterly stupid. And so, next slide, please. And so I lobbied and won and chose Sinbad, Eye of the Tiger, which was, for a 10-year-old kid, I thought it was pretty good. But, I mean, years and years later, 40-some years later, I look back and it's like there's no choice between the story. So the next slide uh, asks the question, how could I possibly be that dumb as to be given the choice between Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger and Star Wars and actually choose Sinbad? What rational person, even though a 10-year-old, what would rational person would make that choice? Next, next point there. I knew the storyline of Sinbad. I'd never seen the movie, but I knew the story. Here's why I know the story. Because Sinbad is an ancient narrative. That's not a new story. That's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the seven voyages of Sinbad. I'd never heard of any of these stories, but I knew that there was an overarching narrative. There's a sailor, and he's going to battle good, or battle. there's a battle between good and evil. He's going to have to use his righteousness, and he's going to have to use his wits against forces of evil that want to hinder him in his journey, and it's a perilous journey. And so there's an overarching story narrative, and that appealed to me as a 10-year-old kid. And so I'm like, heck yes, let's go to Sinbad. The other one, I didn't know the storyline. It's just lasers, battleships, and a trash compactor and a monster. There's no, there's no storyline. Do, do you see the difference? When you're only given bits and pieces and fragments of, of the characters and you don't have an overarching story narrative, it doesn't grab you by the lapels. It doesn't grip your heart. It's just simply Wikipedia. It, it doesn't capture you. It runs in the family genetically, by the way. 2001, Ryan's like, I knew this was coming. 2001, my son is 10 years old. Lord of the Rings comes out. The Fellowship, it's the first one. I say to Ryan, Ryan, would you like to go to, Caitlin was a little bit young yet, would you like to go to Lord of the Rings? He says, what's it about? Now, I'd never seen or, or I'd, take, I'd never read Tolkien's trilogy, so I gave him the Wikipedia version. I said, well, it's about hobbits. They got big hairy feet, and there's this ring of power, and, and there's a wizard, and there's, yeah, and then they have to destroy the ring. He said almost the exact same thing that I said 40 years ago. It sounds stupid. I don't want to go. And, of course, later when he went, it was awesome because I couldn't communicate the overarching narrative. Do you see this? So if I was an, apostle, or if I was a, an ambassador of Tolkien, and I was trying to, to make my appeal, uh, make my, he, he's making his appeal through me. I was an epic failure because I couldn't communicate the overarching storyline. Make sense? And, and this kid that was trying to win me to Star Wars failed in the same way. And I believe the church is failing in the exact same way. It's not that we don't love Jesus. It's not that we don't love Jesus, but we present a fragmented gospel. We're not exactly sure how to pull it off. We're trying to make this appeal, but we feel intimidated. We feel overwhelmed. We don't know what to say. So we give them bits and pieces, the Wikipedia version. Yeah, Jesus died for your sin. Is that true? Yes. That's like saying, hey, Luke blew up the Death Star. That's what Star Wars is about. It's a little bit bigger than that. It's a little bit bigger than that. So what we want to do tonight 
Uh, we want to look at the story of God. First of all, what is it? Why do I need to know it? And how do I get the most out of this series? Next slide. So let's take a look. First of all, the story of God is, first of all, it is the gospel. It is the gospel. The beginning of the book of Mark. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So if you were to summarize the story of God with one word, it would be the gospel. It would be the gospel. Now, that begs the question, what is the gospel? The gospel, first of all, the definition, it's, it, just, it literally means good news. It's not just news. You can get on CNN or any cable news network or scroll through your, your, your iPhone app to news. That's, that's, that's news. It tells you the events. Good news is something which captures the heart, captures the heart, and the recipient of that good news is changed because of it. Changed because of it. So it is, it is truly good news. Uh, this is taken from the website, our website. Uh, and we have an identity paper where it talks about our values. We are committed to three core values here at Grace Community Church. We're committed to gospel truth. That is the truth of the gospel uh, from scriptures. Uh, we're committed to the community, the gospel community, the, go the community that the gospel creates. And then we're committed to a gospel mission, which is to, to be ambassadors for Christ. And then we have a short, succinct definition of the gospel on our website. Let me read it. Uh, the gospel is the good news that God the Father has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem fallen mankind from the effects of sin through the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, taken from our identity paper. Now, is that true? Yes. Without question, that is true. Follow-up question. Is it complete? Not even close. Not even close. There's a danger. I was talking with a pastor, um, and we tease one another around staff, uh, especially Steve Shepherdly and Jason and I would talk about this a lot. But one particular pastor in North Liberty said, you, yeah, you guys are the gospel church. You just put gospel in front of everything. You're, all your values have gospel. Everything has gospel. You have gospel coffee. There's gospel water with lemons. There's also gospel water without lemons as you exit. There's, everything's gospel, gospel, gospel. And that's not a bad thing. But here's the, here's the danger. When you use a word like gospel so often, you've, you've heard the term familiarity breeds contempt. Okay, it, it, familiarity, you hear a word so often it becomes meaningless. It's like background noise. So we're in danger of that. So we have to be very, very clear on what the gospel is. That's a succinct definition of the gospel, and it's true, but it's not the gospel in its total. In its, in its to Let's back up one slide. Go back to the previous one. Uh, notice, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Whose gospel is it? It's God's gospel. And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is bigger than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It, it, it climaxes there, but it's much, much bigger. Uh, two slides ahead. Go to the slide that, for Romans. Here we go. Let's take a look at what Paul says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. He's set apart for what? He's set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was a descendant from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Stop right there just for a second. Here's what Paul said. 
Paul says, here I am an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which didn't start when Jesus was born. You catch that? The gospel which beforehand was promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Spirit. So just like Jesus in Luke chapter 24, here's what Paul is doing. He's linking, he's linking Genesis through Malachi as the precursor to the gospel because it's part of the gospel narrative. It's absolutely part of the story. And if you truncate it and you start with Jesus on the cross, there's no context. There's no context. And so he starts there. But next, it, he's not finished. Look at the next slide. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience for the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. So the story of the gospel starts in Genesis. It culminates in the cross, but it's not finished. It's not finished. And then from the rest of the book of Romans, Paul, in the greatest single treatise on what the gospel means, goes ahead and explains how the gospel works, how the gospel works in the rest of the book of Romans. But it's an overarching story arc. It is a narrative. So what is the overarching story arc of the story of God? So um, I was talking with my wife this week, and she said, so what's the sermon about this week? And I said, well, we're done with the 2 Corinthians 5. We're moving on into the story of God. And she says, well, what are you going to preach on? I said, well, I'm going I'm to give an overview of where we're going to head for the next eight weeks and and, you know, I got that silly Star Wars, Sinbad illustration, so forth. So I'm, I'm kind of telling her what the storyline is. And she's being polite, and she's just like, oh, okay, okay. And then she's, she's, she says, well, um, don't forget to tell them why. Make sure you give them the why. That's really good advice. Uh, here's what she means by that. Uh, that's code for unless you tell them why they need to know this, it will, it will just water off a duck's back. You're just giving them Wikipedia information. They need to know why this matters. So, uh, granted, this is an overview. This is an overview. We're going to get into these one by one over the next six weeks, and then, and then week eight, this is week one, and then the following six weeks are right there. And then week eight, we're going to do a, a summary. But uh, it's important that you understand why, why this matters. Two reasons. Those are the six uh, acts of the story of God, but two reasons you need to know this. First of all, for our sake. For our sake. The first reason is our sake. Um, we need to know the story of God so we can understand what our purpose is. Everybody needs to know why they're here, and we need to know what our purpose is. We also need to do it, need it, need it for, for passion. When you know the story of God and you see yourself in the midst of that story, your heart burns within you just like the two on the road to Emmaus. And the third the third is for perseverance. When you know the overarching story arc and you know the overarching narrative, when you face trials and tribulations, you're not shocked by them and you know how the story ends. And it's absolutely vital for your perseverance. So that's for our sake, reason number one. Second reason is for the sake of others. As an ambassador for Christ, when God is making his appeal through you to the people he is making an appeal uh, through you Two, if you don't know the story of your king and the story of his country, you can't help them come into that country. It's absolutely crucial for the body of Christ to be able to have a coherent narrative that they can share with people so that they can, so they can God can use them to help people see the, the beauty of, of the gospel. So, 
six different acts and six different questions. Six different questions. We're going to look at creation, rebellion, promise, redemption, community, and consummation. The first one, if you back it up, well, no, you can leave it right where it is. Uh, next slide, please. So you see these little icons here? Maggie put these together. Right there, Maggie Baker. Those are, are for you. You're going to see those, and each one is distinct by itself. It stands for an act within the, the gospel narrative. Ultimately, what we'd like, you, like all of you to be able to do is be able to sit down over a cup of coffee and draw out these six symbols so you can share the overarching story arc with anybody. And, and those, those, little, those little icons kind of capture each one. So the first one is, is creation. Now, each act has its own life-changing question, which, is, which everyone's asking, by the way. Even those who are not followers of Christ, they're still asking these questions. And so as you engage others with the story of God, these questions are absolutely vital and absolutely crucial and very, very valuable for you to engage other people so that you can make uh, God's appeal. God can use you to make that appeal. So the first one, what's my purpose? Everybody has to have a purpose in life. And Genesis, the story of creation, gives us this purpose. Genesis chapter 1, we'll be looking at next week, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. In the beginning... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our image. So the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. Genesis chapter 2, he placed them in the midst of the garden. He said, be fruitful, multiply, tend the garden, flourish, use your gifts, use your skills for the good of human flourishing. Bear my image, reflect my glory. You and I were called for a purpose. We're called for a purpose, to bear His image, to be His image bearers. And all of us need to understand what that is. And, and, and message number one, creation, act number one, gives us our purpose. It tells us why we're here. It tells us why the universe is here. And, and you don't have all the answers when you're making your God's appeal to other people and, and people ask you questions but, and, and you don't have answers to, but everybody can walk through these, these six acts and you can ask these questions. Somebody says, well, I don't believe in God. That's great. Why are we here? Why are we here? Do you see where this is going? You don't have to have the, all the answers, but you can ask the questions. Why are we here? Here's the story of God. Oh, I don't believe the story of God. Okay, that's fine. Why are you here? Do you, you see where this is going? It goes both ways. So as you engage the culture, they will ask you questions. You can share the overarching narrative of God, the story, and then you can ask those same questions and have them answered for yourself. Next phase, rebellion. God has a purpose for us, but that purpose has been uh, frustrated, if you will. Frustrated, if you will. We have the rebellion. What's wrong with the world? Well, everybody knows that there's something wrong with the world. So the people that we're making an appeal to, people on the University of Iowa campus, your professors, your, the people that you work with in the lab, uh, the people all over the world, they may not share your appreciation and your love for the story of God. They may not share that. They may not share your love for Christ. They may not believe. But I guarantee you they know that something's wrong with the world. Knowing the story of God tells us what's wrong in the world. So on that particular phase, we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 3 and then also chapter 4. In summary, we'll look at how sin entered the world and how human beings are flawed. 
we'll be looking at the fact that each of us, each of us, regardless of where we're at, whether we are in Christ or whether we're not in Christ, has this sense of oughtness in our hearts and in our heads where we know what we ought to do, but we just don't do it. We know what others ought to do, and we're disappointed that they don't. And we can't figure out why people won't do what they know they ought to do, but instead they do the things they know they shouldn't do. What's wrong with the world? This act two enters the, the, the antagonist of the story, and we begin to undersee, un, understand what's wrong with the world. It's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the villain in the story which gives the story an overarching good versus evil battle, and now we kind of understand. Now we can look back and say, oh, I get it. That's what's wrong with the world. That's what's wrong with the world. And then promise. Week three, we're going to look at promise. What is God's plan? This, this is largely we're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 12. Now, I, I would say that this is probably the longest act in the Bible chronologically. There are multiple scenes in this particular act. And that could be a, a whole series in and of itself. But it starts with Abraham. In other words, the, God created the world, man to bear his image and reflect his glory. But sin frustrated that. And, 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 the, and the, the universe was cursed and sin and death entered the world. But God has a plan to redeem the world. The question here is, what is the plan? The, another way to ask this question is, is history going somewhere? Is history going somewhere? So when you're, you're having conversations with your friends and so forth and so on, you, you just throw this question out. Does history have a purpose? Or, or is history just random people doing random things? Or is there an overarching direction from history past and history future? So knowing this, the promise, you look back and say, oh, there is a plan. God chose a family out of the Euphrates River Valley in, in what is currently Iraq, Abraham and Sarah, and said, go to the land that I will show you. And, and the text here in Genesis, back it up one, uh, I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see that there's a little sprout, a little seed of promise. God chooses one man and says, it's through you and your offspring, I'm going to bless the entire nations. All the nations of the world will be, will be blessed. And so there's this tension in the story. There's this tension. So you watch and you say, is it Abraham? No, he fails. Is it Isaac? No, he fails. Is it Jacob? It's definitely not Jacob. He fails. Is it Judah? No, it's not Judah. He fails. Is it, is it Moses? Nope. He fails. Is it, is it David? Nope. Man after God owns, God's own heart falls in adultery, uh, immorality, murder. It's not him. Solomon? Nope. And you start to get to the point where it's frustrating. And then you look into the prophets as they approach the exile. And, and the prophets keep talking about this one, this root of Jesse, this son of David, who will come and he will be the suffering servant. And it's by his wounds that will be healed. It's, he will be pierced for our transgressions. And the prophets keep talking about this one who's coming, this one who's coming, this one who's coming, this one who's coming. And that's the overarching storyline of the, of the hope that they're longing for. The hope that they're longing for. And then we have redemption. That hope has finally arrived in the person of Jesus, who's born in poverty to a Jewish mother, Mary, and a, and a father who is a, a carpenter living in Nazareth. And he fulfills all the righteous requirements of the law, embraces his identity as the Son of God, 
and goes to the cross to take our sins. And here's what he says from the cross. The last words from Jesus' lips before he dies. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Christ gave up his spirit, bowed his head. It's finished. What's finished? It's finished. Everything that God had planned for him to do, he accomplished. Redemption is accomplished. Next slide. Now redemption must be applied. Now redemption must be applied. And that is community. God saved you and I not so that we could be individuals who go to heaven, but He saved you and I so that we could be the new humanity. He saved us that we would be the new humanity. After God poured out His Spirit at Pentecost, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and to the fellowship. And they had everything in common. In verse 44, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. So God knit this initial, this, this humanity, which was supposed to be that way from the beginning, but sin frustrated it. But now he's taking care of sin. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's knit us together as a family of believers. He calls us his bride. We are the body of Christ. And he's made us new creations in Christ. We are that new humanity. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We have the capacity to love as Christ loved. We have the capacity to love one another. We have the capacity to love the world. Not in perfection because we still carry around this body of death and we carry around this flesh and we still have sinful tendencies. But now redemption is applied. And that's the community of, of the saints. And the last and final stage is, is consummation. How does it all end? You have to know that, that, that there's victory in the end. If you are unsure of how the story ends, if not if, but when you face persecution, not if, but when you face suffering, when you face hardship, if you're not absolutely sure how the story ends and the overarching story arc, you will lose confidence and you will retreat and you won't stand firm to the end. So in that last and final Sunday, we'll take a look in Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with him as their God. Verse 4, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Symbolically here with that, that little icon, the new heavens and the new earth meet, come together. Sin is banished. Hell is banished. Sin and death are thrown into the lake of fire. There is no tears, no pain. There is only us living in perfect community with our Father, with the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there will be lots and lots of things to do. That's the overarching story narrative. That is the grand celebration at the end of the age. So those are the, uh, the six acts. Now there is, there is uh, one more, which will be a summary, and we're going to be looking at Acts 29. Pause to see if anyone's paying attention. How many chapters are in Acts? There are 28. In other words, the story's not yet been completed. The, story's, the question is, what's your story and his story? What's my story? What's our story? So we'll be taking a look at where God wants us to go as individuals, but also as a church. So how do we get the most out of this? Very quickly, getting the most out of the story of God. First of all, go through the story of God together. Um, as we looked at community, and we'll get to that later on down the road, you and I have been saved 
uh, not as individuals. We are saved as individuals, but we have been grafted into the vine, uh, and we are part of a family. We are part of a family. So it is best, Christianity is best, best done together. You can't be a solo Christian. So I want to encourage you here at downtown. We have meals every other week. Uh, get involved. Get involved. And, and Victoria, she's going to get up and, and do announcements here shortly. She can help you understand what the steps are to get involved here at Grace. Secondly, invite others to hear the story of God. Invite others to hear the story of God. When my wife first shared as an ambassador made her appeal, God's appeal, through her to me. She gave me, uh, through no fault of her own, all the right pieces, but I couldn't understand them. I couldn't wrap my head around them. Couldn't wrap my head around them. But I, I loved her, and I was pursuing her, and she brought me to church. And as she brought me to church, um, we weren't going through the story of God. We weren't going through the story of God per se, but we were going through an overarching narrative, a story arc, I think the first series states, was it Matthew? I think, I don't know. It was a long time ago. But I distinctly remember going through Matthew verse by verse. And I got enough of the story. I'm like, oh, there's a story here. He grabbed a hold of me. I, I felt as if Christ was grabbing a hold of my heart and pulling me along. I was captured by, just like those two on the road to Emmaus, my heart burned within me as I, as I heard this story. You guys have friends you're, you're trying to share your faith with them. And that's good. Keep at it. Pray for them. And this is low-hanging fruit, this series, for people that don't know Christ. This is low-hanging fruit. It's easy to invite them to say, hey, come along to grace. We're exploring this, this overarching story of God. It's an eight-week series, and it, it gives you an overview of the Bible, and it answers some, some really key questions of the, of the storyline. This will be, be good for you if, you, if, if maybe you're interested. It's, it's not, the kind of, not the kind of sermon series where they're going to be lost halfway through. So this is a great opportunity to reach new people. And then lastly, um, telling our story with Jesus as the hero. Uh, part of this in community groups, we'd like, to, like you to explore working your own story out with Jesus as the center of that story. Uh, because all of us have a story to tell. I have my story to tell. This is how I came to Christ. God used my wife in that. He used the body of Christ in that. He used the word of God in that. And, and this is the context where I came to understand who I was and how I'd fallen short of the glory of God. So my story fits the same story arc of creation, rebellion, promise, redemption, community, consummation. So we want, to, we want to equip the body of Christ to learn not only God's story, but to also be able to share your story within the context of God's story. Why? Because we're ambassadors, and God is making His appeal to us. And to have an appeal which is appealing, our story needs to mirror His story. Because it does mirror His story. It's His story. Our story is His story. So that's how you can get the most out of this. Ultimately, we do all this so that Christ might be honored, so that he might be glorified. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Oh, boy, that's a whirlwind going through the whole Bible in the last 45 minutes. Uh, but Lord, we thank you that we have the overarching story arc of the gospel. Jesus, thank you that you loved us enough to give yourself for us. Thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we have the church, the body of Christ, not an institution, 
but men and women and children who have been given the Holy Spirit that are family together. And we just pray, Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that our hearts would burn within us like these two on the road to Emmaus, that we might be, um, we might be equipped to, to know the story, that we might share the story. Father, we ask these things that Christ might be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.